0: I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast.
1: Rochester, well, why Rochester?
2: Chris Lindstrom was a hoot. He was just so much fun. He
3: never stopped talking. <laughs> I mean, it
1: was great. R.T. down! Yes!
3: Take it from me, an inveterate
2: snob. <laughs> That's it. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. We don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. Because I'm a pro. That's what pros do. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book.
0: What do you say? Enough. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we are back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Two, two, two weeks in a row after such a long break, and we're here with a whole new concept that I'm very intrigued to learn about. I was following Instagram and following people that I know, and then I saw a whole new store popping up right in my neighborhood that I'm excited to learn about. So, people in the studio, why don't you introduce yourselves?
4: Uh, I'm Jen of Jen's Artisan Bread.
1: Awesome. I'm Chad. I make maple syrup, Flint's Maple. Very cool. I'm Ben, and I uh, grow microgreens and mushrooms under Botanical Ben. So... All three of you, I've met all three of you at multiple markets around town,
0: met you at curling years and years ago. We did curl, yeah. Such as Rochester, you meet people all around and then you find out, oh, we have like four different connections (laughs) from different things. Um, But that's kind of how things go. But I've seen all of you at markets uh, all around the city and now you're starting your own small, uh, what would you call that, a small market, a dedicated space
1: market? It's a small grocery, basically. It's awesome. Kind of a year round farmer's market. Very cool. And what is it called? Where is it located? And when is it opening?
4: It's called Provisions, and it's at 1316 Culver Road, right near Merchants, and our grand opening is June 3rd and 4th, only, what is that, eight days?
0: Eight days from when we're recording. We're recording on Friday, May 26th. This will be out uh, mid-next week, so everybody will get a little heads up on that coming up. So we've got the three of you doing these things and tons of other vendors, but um, why don't we talk about where did the idea for this store come up? Like, who was the first person to bring it up? I know I've seen all of you at the same markets, but who brought this up
3: first? That's probably me. That um, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've run I've run the South Wedge Market now for four years. And which is located where? In the South Wedge on Gregory Street, um, 357 Gregory Street, which is Oddfellows Lodge. Uh, Thursday nights, uh, four to seven. And we our first night is June 15th. So we run mid-June through mid-September. And then three years ago... I started a market on East Ave called the Nota Farmers Market that one runs Monday basically the same time frame uh June 19th is the first uh the first night of that market it runs through the end of August. Uh that's where I actually met I think both of these guys. So yeah. Jen applied last year was the first time and then Ben last year also. Yep. So yeah, yeah. so that's where I met everybody.
0: And cuz these are both very interesting markets, they're a completely different vibe from uh, from the public market, obviously, from the scale and the scope. And then the Brighton market has a completely different feel to what this is as well.
3: Yeah, the Brighton market, actually, the the manager, I can't remember her name. She actually was the original Southwedge market manager back in the day. I
0: thought so. That That's what was stuck in my mind. And then when I remember hearing that you had actually started running it or... Or started a new one. I don't remember what the genesis was. Yeah, so was. it's
3: the same market that uh, South Wedge Planning Committee. I actually work for them. They're a nonprofit in South Wedge. Okay. So they they've run the market all along. She, I think she started it. Um, I should know her name. I've met her four or five times. I apologize if you're out there listening. <laughs> um, I, I can't tell you
0: how many times I've done that.
3: Like I've met so
0: many people all the time, and I'm like, "Oh, you're that guy. You're you're the microgreens guy." I'd never remember the first name. I'm like, yeah. "Microgreens guy." And my wife's like, "Oh, the microgreens guy. That stuff's
2: good. Yeah,
3: I can work with that. That's fine by me." <laughs> yeah. So, um, so she left probably. It's got to be eight eight or ten years ago to actually start the Brighton Market. Oh, okay. So I believe she started that Brighton Market, and then she's been running that. It's, it's a great market, it's great. but Absolutely. It's, it's a different scale than what yeah. we're at. You know, we're uh, about around 15 to 25 vendors at both of the markets. Uh, Noda might get up towards 30 this year. Um, so the Noda has, has more space. South Wedge is kind of limited in how much space we have, but Noda has more.
0: Yeah, and it's really nice. A huge open green space, and it feels it feels a little different. It kind of feels to me like some of the markets I've been to in, like, Vermont, when you go and there's just open green space and that's all it is. Yeah,
3: somebody last year came from, uh, was actually in town from New York City and said there's a market down in one of the parks in New York City and it reminded them of that. You kind of walk through the trees and the markets there.
0: Yeah, kind of a, it's a very pleasant uh, pastoral feel when uh, the weather in Rochester decides to cooperate, <laughs> which is every week when the market's on. No, no doubt. Never rains. <laughs> so, um, so started the markets and met all the people here. And then what was the first conversation about starting a like small grocery? I think,
4: I mean, you and I last summer sort of jokingly talked about it. I was, I went to culinary school in Vermont and, um, and there I kind of fell in love with the local food scene and markets and, um, and, Chad and I somehow started talking about cuz your uncle maybe had a my great uncle uh, used to had it. a general store and I was talking about in Vermont and I moved to Oregon after that there's all these all these little local stores where you go to the corner store but it's filled with local really good stuff it's not just junk food you know and so somehow we were talking about that and chad was like oh yeah i would love to do that and i was like yeah me too but not really <laughs> and here we are and here, and here we are a week away Yeah.
0: <laughs> and i really like that you went from like divergent opposites you know you know vermont right to oregon you know really kept it very different environments <laughs> yeah really
4: <laughs>
0: just thousands of thousand yeah. miles apart but <laughs> my husband
4: called it uh, vermont west when yeah. we were moving
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so we started doing that we started talking and then like When is the time where you decide, hey, we're actually going to do this? (laughs) Like a month ago. Is it really? (laughs) Really. Wow. Um, So
4: back in uh, maybe September, I had the opportunity at a space and I was not ready at all to move my bakery to a space. And the space, it seemed like it was going to get rented to somebody else. So I was like, well, I guess it's not time. I got more time. And then suddenly about a month, a month and a half ago. By six weeks, yeah. The uh, the landlord called and was like, are you still interested? And at the time, it really felt like my space and it was the right thing for me. And it was a great opportunity. Um, And I was like, well, this would be a terrible time for me to move a bakery. (laughs) Um, And somehow I was talking to Chad and uh, they were looking, Chad and Ben were looking for a space. And we were like, well, why don't we do the shop there?
0: And it's super exciting. And, you know, we're, we're seeing all the change in the neighborhood. I mean, the rough neighborhood that I live in. So we're, uh, I'm you know, right at the top of Empire, right near uh, Empire and Winton. So, like, we're right in the same neighborhood. And the amount of change that's been going on in this area on Winton and on Culver, right in this area, has been wild in the last five years, how much it's changed. And it seems like this is actually a really good fit for the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I was actually just making a delivery earlier today and ended up talking to my contact there and mentioned the store. And he's like, oh, like I grew up there. It's so nice to see everything changing and progressing. My grandma, my mom still lives like three blocks from the store. Really excited to see something like that. So it's just really nice to be able to kind of bring something like this to the community in such a positive way.
0: Well, yeah, because other, other than, you know, other than a small store opening now, like the access to local produce, to local produced stuff, like you have to go to either a major chain grocery store in our area, which isn't really in the neighborhood. It's, it's a bit of a hike and it's a pretty dense neighborhood of residential and a lot of families and everything else that are right in the area,
2: Yeah,
1: which seems like kind of a natural fit. Yeah, that's something like I'm not from Rochester. Originally, I moved up here uh, a little over a year ago now and just kind of showing up to see the storefront for the first time, seeing how dense and seemingly walkable it is, but without the places to walk. So it's awesome that we're able to kind of set up shop right there in the middle of all that and have people just kind of wander in, grab stuff as they need it, the kind of last minute dinner ideas, whatever it is. And it's just seems like a very cool location for something like this.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great point. It's something when we moved into the neighborhood, I was,
1: I was kind of struck by like, wow, you
0: there's, you know, the sidewalks, you can go somewhere. I'm like, Oh, what am I going to walk to? Yeah, And it's changed. Like the amount of stuff on Winton has changed completely. And Culver's seen that start as well with, uh you know, Luis Perez over at Peels on Wheels. Pizzeria, and I think there's a couple other things that popped up right in that neighborhood as well.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. New City Coffee Roasters is right around the corner. Oh, they're um, doing a
0: great job.
4: Yeah, for sure. We're actually going to have their coffee in the shop. And then there's also uh, Saucy. Sauc- oh, yeah Saucy, Chef, right? yeah, Saucy Chef. Yeah, she's yeah. right around the corner. Um, yeah, because that
0: used to be, I mean, two two times ago, that was there was a Mexican place there. It was at Paula's? And then before that, it was a Vietnamese place that was delightful. Oh. That was very good. But the more you're around Rochester, the more you see, like, oh, I remember the place from 13 years ago. he's like, I was in middle school when that happened for somebody else. <laughs> and you're like, oh, right. Now I'm becoming the old guard of Rochester food <laughs> versus the people before me that were like, I remember when the Rio Bombo was a big deal here in town <laughs> and all that stuff. Anyways, um, so – yeah, so we're now we're, we're up to, like, we're signing this thing. And how does it come together where, so it's the three of you producing your stuff, and then you're starting to engage with other people. How fast does the concept become the concept that it is now a week for, away from where you're going?
3: Well, it had to go fast. So. I was going to say. Well, <laughs> I think part of it was Ben and I have been working on... Um, market shares, which is similar to a CSA at the farm markets. So we've been working on that throughout the winter. So we had been talking to different vendors about those. And that was kind of how he and I had almost talked about a store a little bit. I've looked at places for about probably four years. Oh yeah. And the rent is just nuts most of the time. And the lease is also really long. So when Jen came with this place, the rent's reasonable. And they're giving us a short-term lease to kind of try it out and make sure that it's going to work. You know, signing your name on a line that you're going to pay a couple thousand dollars for five years is a little terrifying when you have no idea if it's going to work or not. Absolutely.
0: No, I mean, that kind of thing is always terrifying and it's, it's kind of uh, exciting to see like, yeah, we we can just try it out and see if it goes. I mean, same thing with like, you know, doing any of these things, like you can start with relatively low cost and some of the stuff and, you know, see if it, see if it sticks. I mean, it's how we started nominating. It's how I started doing the podcast. Like, yeah, I can front this and then see if it's worth doing. See if we're, see if it's fun.
4: I mean, that's probably, I would assume how all of our businesses go, if I can speak for all of us. But certainly yeah. for me, the bread thing started. I'm like, oh, I can make two loaves. Oh, I can make four. Oh, somebody wants six. I can do that at home. Like, oh, I can, you know, and it just kept going. You know, you you could buy a little bit of equipment, a little bit more, a bigger tub, a bigger tub, you know, <laughs> and just, uh, and more baskets. And uh, next thing you know, you know, you're, you're able to have this opportunity. And it it is really about the opportunity that the landlord's just really being flexible and allowing us to try this without a huge risk on our plate. You know, we still have to, um, certainly do a lot and, uh, you know, to make it happen, but at least we don't have to worry about being tied in for five years if, if it's not, uh, working out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess, uh, what was in the place before? Was it, was it empty? Was it something else?
4: So it actually, it was, it's been our long time, my family's long time hairdresser. Um, And that's actually how the space came about that um, my hairdresser, my husband was in the chair and um, he was, the hairdresser was telling my husband that he's moving to the bigger space next door and Jen should take the shop. (laughs) And husband came home and Jen was like, what? No way. Jen doesn't need a shop. Jen doesn't want a shop. No way. Ever, never, don't ever talk like that again. (laughs) And fast forward a week or two later, Jen's in the chair getting hair, her haircut. And I'm looking around and I'm like, but this kind of looks like my shop. Uh (laughs) And yeah, so.
0: So uh, when it comes to when it comes to space, so um, you've been baking out of the house for a long time, right?
4: Yeah, for, I mean, I only started officially in June here. I moved back to Rochester. I grew up here. I actually grew up in North Winton and Culver area. I was all up and down between uh, East Main and Culver and Winton-Browncroft all through there. Um, So I moved away for 13 to 15 years and uh, just came back last January. I had started baking bread in Oregon um, just part-time as I had my other job, I was giving it to, it turned out it went from one friend to three friends to the whole grocery store employment <laughs> to, to just all the teachers, everybody, you know, and so I said, well, when we get to Rochester, I'll do it for real, and um, then in probably May I got an email from a friend. She forwarded a post from Chad about the Noda market and that they needed bread bakers. I had no logo. I had no name. I had no tent. <laughs> I had no nothing. And similarly to this store, in about six weeks' time, <laughs> I created a business. <laughs> and I showed up and I started bringing the bread.
3: <laughs> yeah, And I warned her when she started. I said, you know, people are, once you get there and people realize that there's fresh bread there, is going to is going to blow up because Absolutely. we had we had a similar person at the South Wedge market previous to this and he made similar stuff to Wedge Jen makes he made more cookies and things but he made the bread and he could sell he sold out every week
0: uh so i, I forget his name he lost was Steve Lost, yeah, West, lost, Woods, lost was, Woods
3: bakery i think he was doing some called. really good stuff yeah and then he moved, he moved down to Naples and he was still doing it and the last time i talked to him he's back working at a restaurant again um he was still selling bread and bringing it up here like a couple times a week um but i think he moved and he had to get rid of some of his ovens he didn't have the space anymore
0: yeah, yeah. No, yeah. shout out to Steve. Yeah, that stuff was... He was doing a really nice job. And I think that was a hole a little bit because like I think a market needs a really good bread.
4: There are a lot of people that have mentioned him to me and are, that were like, oh, thank God you're here. Yeah, Steve left and we haven't had <laughs> bread since him. We except, haven't eaten except, a single for Don. Slice.
3: except for Don, who came and told you the first week, right? It's oh. not quite as good as Steve's. <laughs> he did.
4: And, you know, he actually just um, a couple that. weeks ago, whenever that was, he, he did say, he said, well... You know, I have to think again because I thought about that when you know I, I made that conclusion. You know, when when I first tried it, and I will say that my bread has evolved tremendously since June. (laughs) Uh, Tremendously. And it's still it to me, it's still a work in progress. I have a long way to go. But um, you know, even from that first time that he tried it, it's certainly a different bread. So he said, I gotta I gotta think about it again. It's been so long since I've had it. (laughs) Maybe he just felt bad now that he knows me a little
0: more. I I I love that though. Like I it's there's something very there's something very interesting about, you know, working with, you know, working with the public and bringing food to them and doing all that stuff where, man, you, the kind of feedback that you get sometimes you're like, I can't believe somebody said that. And then like,
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. we've all had it at some point. Like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a business teacher during the day now and I'll talk to the kids all the time. I'm like, they, people will come back and I've made something for five or six years and they'll tell me that they don't like this one flavor in it and then stare at me for a while. Almost like I'm going to say to him, you know what, I'll change the recipe tomorrow. You know, I, I never thought of that before. You know, and it's just <laughs> it's crazy sometimes what they'll tell you. But you also get to meet some of the coolest people at the markets. And, no and doubt. Don, who we just said, he's been coming to South Wedge since it since it started. Yeah. And he comes every week. He rides his bike. He's um, awesome. Fill, yeah. Fills like three bags full of stuff up. And then heads on his way. He'll be there for two hours sometimes. And he'll stop at every single booth and talk to everybody. Yeah, he's awesome.
0: Well, it's great. But we we all need need our dedicated customers. We all need the people to be evangelists for what we do and pushing it forward. Because if you don't, you're going to, it's hard to get the word out for all this stuff.
1: First and foremost. Oh, yeah. So much of it is just kind of the friendly word of mouth and just like, oh, yeah, like heard about you. A friend mentioned it, tried it, whatever, saw it somewhere else. And it's things like that that are so welcoming and just make the, experience so pleasant like oh yeah like I, this is a good thing people are enjoying this this is really nice
0: yeah absolutely so uh let's dive in a bit more into bread so let's let's go into what what kind of bread are you making and like what's what's the concept behind it so this is of specific kinds
4: yeah so um everything I do is sourdough uh it's sort of sprung from when I was in Oregon and I started doing the bread it happened to be sourdough but then um an acquaintance of mine Uh, she has been gluten-free for like 22 years and um, she had heard that sourdough was easier to digest and so she tasted some of it and she was able to eat it so she tasted a little bit more and she still didn't get sick and so then she fed it to her family who still didn't get sick and so then I kind of delve further into the whole sourdough thing it was also it's it's kind of exciting you never know what's going to happen exactly you think that you understand it and then I don't know the, the wind changes and suddenly you have to bob and weave and you've got a whole new product in front of you that you have to figure out how to make the same again
0: <laughs> so the wind carried something very interesting into your, into your starter
4: yeah exactly an <laughs> um, so, un-
0: unknown entity has now invaded
4: <laughs> exactly so, um, so yeah it's I do everything naturally leaven. So then I got excited by the idea of being able to feed like watching her family. Her kids are really good friends with my kids and watching them be able to eat bread for like almost the first time in their life. People love bread. <laughs> Children love bread. It's you know? great. So then I started making <laughs> croissants. I started making cinnamon buns, things that like they've never had. And they were able to eat and they were just blown away. And then I started to really love the flavor behind the depth, behind the sourdough culture. And and then it sort of connected me to, you know, when I started looking at um, the roots of bread and civilization and the way that it just, you know, the, the, the methods are so methodical and grounding um, at, that I just got hooked on trying to make anything I could sourdough.
0: So you mentioned like a flavor profile and it's a little, a little pedantic to call it a flavor profile. But like when, when you say somebody hasn't tried, you know, naturally fermented or, you know, sourdough style breads or bread products, how do you describe it to somebody that hasn't tasted it before?
4: Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm bad at pinpointing the exact taste, but what I what I started to recognize as I got used to eating sourdough, and I'd go back and taste other breads or baked goods that are yeast risen, uh, commercial yeast risen, I recognized that there was just a lack of depth. There's all the fluffiness and the crunch, and maybe the salt or the butter flavor, whatever flavors are in there, but. The sourdough, the culture, just the different bacterias and the slow fermentation, just all I can describe it as is depth. I don't, I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always found it to be that it's a complexity that, you know, that, and when we talk about sour, it's not like sharp, acidic sour, but it's like a rounded sour. Right. Yeah. At least that's way I always described it. And
4: that was the other thing that I learned that it it doesn't even have to be sour, that you can actually, that it's just a method, you know, and that was part of it. And and now it's become part of the challenge almost to, you know, there's so many people that are like, well, I don't like sourdough. And I'm like, well, it I mean, <laughs> first I you have,
2: have to leave. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Give me a minute. Can,
2: can,
4: can
0: you taste? Can, yeah. can you just yeah, taste? Exactly. i got cubes. I've got cubes for you.
4: There was a woman at the uh, Nota Market last year who was so cute. She was coming and buying the bread every week. And she was like, Well, my husband hates sourdough, but um, I just don't even tell him. And he loves your bread.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, That's There great. you go. Yeah. That makes me very happy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I, I, when I was in Europe, um, and ate bread there. I think it tastes similar to that kind of stuff because that bread doesn't full of sugar, you know, and a lot of our stuff is just pop, just full of sugar. And so bread isn't really supposed to be sweet, I wouldn't think. and In my mind, it shouldn't be sweet. And so I think that it's more of a natural kind of a bread.
0: Yeah, and then also depending on your grain sourcing and how that was processed and everything else, that combination where you can, like, you know, taste that it was an agricultural product and taste that it came you know, there you can taste the time. I think that's the big thing. Like you can taste that somebody spent time on it and it's not just like one note. It has I a whole sure thing going on. I hope so,
4: because it definitely I do put <laughs> time into it.
0: So what, what is what is a what is a time from the start of a batch to the time it's served to somebody right now?
4: Um so usually I start um, let's see, so uh, if I start one night, then the next day is building the dough the whole day, and then it uh, goes into a cold fermentation overnight again, um, and then it's baked and brought out practically hot still. So what's that? Kind of two days-ish. Yeah, two days. Yeah, two Almost days around. Almost two days. And which- she gets
3: to take two naps in between.
4: Oh, I really wish. Generously. And by naps, he means I get to do chores and take care of kids and feed them and drive them to school.
0: (laughs) Uh, So so you're doing all that. So you're fermenting fermenting all this stuff in the house. Yes. And in the new space, do you have space to bake? Are you still baking out of that?
4: So currently, the store is just going to be a store to start retail. Um, It's only about barely four hundred square feet. Um, Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's little. Um, But the idea is that um, there's a there's an addition. There's a whole another portion in the back that is the same size, and um, right now that's just studs and plywood. And we can add that on, and I could build out the bakery, and we can have one larger space that has both.
0: Yeah, and it's because it's, you know, that kind of integration. I mean, when you're talking about that, like, warm bread-baked smell, which I'm... Sure. At this point, the family doesn't know anything else because they can't remember a Pretty non. Pretty much, it's just the way our house smells. <laughs> it just smells like baked it bread all the like time. It Smells like mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the kind of thing that like uh, realtors like pay good money for like fresh stuff brought into the that's house. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like oh, we can just like grab the air and import it into the houses all around Rochester.
4: Totally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's so now you've been doing that uh, selling for a year at this point.
4: Almost in a almost, couple of weeks, it'll be a year. It was almost June, a year, mid June last year. Yeah, whatever
0: the first day the
3: to market was,
4: yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically
0: going on that. So, what what's the biggest lesson so far that you've learned about like selling that to people, and the things that you've changed in your process?
4: Oh man, well, it is a constant evolution of change because you know you. Uh, the biggest thing that I've learned is that. It is not actually just as easy to make 70 loaves as it is to make four. <laughs> I really, I really thought that was true uh-huh. for a little while. Um, <laughs> I learned very quickly. It's not actually true. Um, it takes a lot more work and time and strength and uh, perseverance to make more and more loaves. But um yeah, so that, that's definitely the biggest lesson.
0: Yeah, it has to be. So, I mean, now we're growing this. We're going to have more people, more people's eyes on it. How exciting and nervous is that at this point?
4: Yes, both of those. <laughs> yes. Completely <laughs> all of that. Um, it's super exciting. I uh, I didn't. I, I mean, this, this whole process has been not, not recognizing that this is a thing that I want or would do. And then each time an opportunity presents itself and I jump and I'm terrified. And this shop, I was like, what are we doing? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Do I want a grocery store? I don't want a grocery store. <laughs> and then it, I, I, I recognize, I remember to just yesterday I was driving in the car and I thought why am I doing this (laughs) (laughs) not gonna lie Um, and then suddenly I had this flashback um, to when I was like 21 I was living in Rochester and um, my stepdad brought my boyfriend at the time to work on his boat and sodas and they were like do you want to come and I was like what am I gonna do watch you guys work on the boat all day and I was like wait is there a Wegmans there maybe I could tool around the grocery store and I'm like 21-year-old Jen thinks the idea of fun is walking around a grocery store with no need to buy anything. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe I should have seen the writing on the wall.
0: <laughs> well, and the saying yes is one of those super exciting and terrifying things that when you when you say yes to some opportunity, it opens doors and sometimes you have no idea what's going to come through them until you open them.
4: For sure. Uh,
0: which is exciting, but... I think what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about maple. We're going to talk about micrograins. We're going to talk about all the other kind of vendors that are going to be found at Provisions, which is near the cor- going to be opening next week at the corner of Culver and Merchants. What's the opening day again?
4: June 3rd and 4th.
0: June 3rd and 4th, Culver and Merchants. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. If you wanna learn more about Rochester and Buffalo's wide range of diverse cuisines and don't wanna do the work, Nominate Meals might be for you. The fun part is you have no idea what you're gonna get until you pick your meal up at one of our fantastic events. All you have to do is go to nominatemeals.com and order a meal for two for $40 that features dishes from one small, typically minority-owned restaurant. We run events at Three Heads Brewing, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play, and also Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. We offer drink pairings for sale that pair with each dish for that night, which really adds to the experience. Go to nominate meals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event and join the nomination. And we're back with the second half of our conversation with the whole team from provisions, provisions rock. How are, how are we defining this? Everybody's um, looking. Right. Are we not sure yet? How we're,
2: how we're advertising I mean, the, it.
3: The, 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 handle on everything is provisions rock. Uh, it's just technically provisions. And then, Branded at Jen's Artisan, which is how Jen brands most of her stuff, bread, bread at yeah, Jen's so Artisan. Bread
4: at Jen's Artisan. When she
3: lets her husband stop working, it'll be uh, coffee roasters at Jen's Artisan's, right? <laughs> oh, I love that. So now we
0: can have the fr- the smell of fresh roasted coffee and baked bread all at the same yes. time <laughs> and
4: maybe even sausage <laughs> goes right with it <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, this is the dream of every homesteader from the early and mid2000s all the smells all in one place oh yeah um, so we were talking all about bread um, one uh, if you haven't tried uh, Gen stuff, uh, definitely seek it out. Where, where else can you find it right now?
4: Uh, right now, I'm at Lori's Natural Foods and also ours Market on Monroe Ave and Brighton. And then um, I'll be at Nota Market this summer.
0: Absolutely. And highly recommend it. I've had it a number of times. And it is, there's like two or three places that are worth eating bread at in Rochester. And Jen's Bread is one of them. So nice. highly recommend trying it out. So, um, well, let's talk to chat. Let's talk about maple.
3: All right, why not?
0: So we're... Past the maple season now, yep, right? We're all so done. Harvest is done now. When harvest is done, that means the product's done too. Is it? Is it cooked right then, and everything's done?
3: Yeah. So sap will actually go bad in you know under two days normally. So you really we normally we normally boil everything the day that it comes. So um, my dad just retired this year, so it's been a little easier because he's home now um, to turn on different machines that have to get turned on. So we tend to finish now like nine 30, 10, um, before he retired, we used to finish at like 12 or one o'clock in the morning, a lot of times. So yeah, a lot, a lot of people, you know, they'll boil syrup throughout the night. Um, we have equipment that's way bigger than we need so that we can be done in a reasonable time. Cause we both used to have to go to work. Now he gets to sleep in. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: So I, so you mentioned your dad. So when, when did Flint maple start?
3: So I'm fourth generation. Uh, my really? my great grandfather uh, used to make maple syrup on dairy farm that actually that I grew up on. Um, so my dad and my dad and grandpa were partners in a farm, and uh, we were farmers until I was 14. And then my dad, who had an engineering degree, um, decided that my grandpa was going to retire. He was going to buy the farm. He decided against it. So then he actually went and started being an engineer. And, um, probably the only person to ever make that transition in the middle of his life from being a farmer, dairy farmer to, uh, being an engineer. And he ran a construction company. He was the vice president of a construction company for about, uh, probably 20, probably 20 years. And he just retired this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, so that's how I learned how to make it. I never made any syrup with my great grandpa, but my grandpa, dad, and uncle all made it on the farm. Um, when we sold the farm, we stopped making it for probably about 10 years. Um, and then... I think it's been nine years now. So about nine years ago, my dad said, let's make a little bit of syrup just for us. And then kind of like the one loaf of bread situation, <laughs> I think we hung, I think we might've hung 10 buckets the first year on some trees just around their house and made maybe two gallons of syrup. So
0: let, let's let talk about the process for a second. Yeah. We'll go into the rest. So when so you're talking about 30 buckets being hung, meaning you're taking the sap right from the trees, yep. dripping into a bucket, and you've got two gallons of syrup out how many gallons of sap go into that two gallons of syrup I mean it
3: varies so you'll hear most people speak talk about 40 gallons of sap to um, to one gallon of syrup that's if your sugar is coming in at two percent uh, your saps coming in at two percent sugar ours is less than that usually so ours average is about 57 gallons of sap for uh, one gallon of syrup so that year we probably had you know around hundred and 120 gallons of sap and then you just boil the water away. Um, you know, that's that's in essence what the native native Americans taught us how to do when we got here. They they used to do it with rock heated rocks um, and boil the sap away and they used to just make sugar. They didn't make syrup, but they actually taught us how to do it when we when we got here. Probably my family we've been
2: here that long. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's it's fascinating because like we're talking about another agricultural product that is definitively it's every every part of it is defined by You know, things that have been here for, you know, 100 years or 50 years or however long the trees have been around and the land that they grow on and that the flavor you're getting is 100 percent defined by the land. And then everybody thinks it's one flavor.
3: Yeah. So syrup will taste different based on the content of your soil. Um, Different maple trees have slightly different flavor profiles to them. And then the process that you use will change it slightly, too. Um, There's light syrup and there's dark syrup. You don't have a ton of control over what you get. Um, but the darker the syrup, the stronger maple flavor it's going to have. And then there's a lot of advanced technology now that didn't used to exist. We have some of it. So we have an osmosis machine, a reverse osmosis machine, and how we explain it on the tours is if you put an osmosis machine under your sink, it keeps the pure water and dumps all the other stuff on someplace in the ground, in the sewer. Uh, We do the opposite of that. So we run the sap through there. It keeps all of the sugar and throws the pure water away. So we can run... We run it through it twice, and instead of boiling fifty-six gallons of water away, we can get it down to where we only have to boil like between eight and twelve. So it's much more efficient. We don't we burn fuel oil. We don't burn wood anymore. We burn fuel oil, and so it gets it so we can probably probably burn a fifth um, of the fuel oil we'd burn normally.
0: I mean that kind of efficiency too. I mean,
3: uh, boiling water is wildly power inefficient. (laughs) Yes, it's not. (laughs) It's not very efficient, and. Um, I mean, the fuel oil is probably double what it was two or three years ago, so oh, yeah. not quite as much as it was the year before this year, but it was still, you know, you get that bill when you get 500 gallons of that put into your tanks and you just kind of look at it for a minute and think I better make a lot of syrup this year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no doubt, and you, you also hope that, like, Uh, at that point that, you know, the the weather cooperates and that, you know, you get the right, what is it, gradient of temperature from cold to warm where it starts to flow well?
3: It's really weird. You know, you need it to get really kind of between 20 and 25 at night so it doesn't freeze really, really hard um, because you need to thaw out in the morning. And so then you want it to get, you know, warm in between, you know, 40, usually 40 is a good temperature to get it to. It'll thaw everything out and then the trees will Uh, drip and then um, they only drip for a certain period of time because it's it's I mean you can read about it and learn a really lot more than I can explain to you but the tree has pressure inside of it and the pressure is forcing the sap out and then once the pressure inside the tree and outside the tree becomes equal no more sap comes out Mm. Um, so we can cheat that a little bit with vacuum so we have vacuum on the trees and so they might only run if you had a bucket hanging on there they might run for you know, a day and a half, we can sometimes stretch it to two and a half days before they'll stop. So you want it to be cold at night, warm in the day, and then cold at night again, because you need it to refreeze so that the sap will keep coming. This year was a, we didn't have a fantastic year. Um, We had made a bunch of syrup in the beginning of February that we never ever make any syrup in February. And then March, it just basically never got over 33. Right. And so then all of a sudden in April, it got warm again, but it was just the The trees had healed, so it's like if you poke a hole in your finger, it'll drip blood for a while, but eventually you'll heal, and a tree is the same way. So it's dripping its blood basically, and it'll heal itself. And so this year, by the time it warmed up again, they had really started to heal. So we made, we did okay, but we made probably sixty percent of what we'd like to make. So
0: from what you're, from what you have the capacity to sell and the capacity to store, well,
3: really, really just what we have the capacity. You know, you try to make around between a third a gallon and a half of a gallon per hole in the tree per tap. And we were at about a quart this year. So about 25, you know, 0.25. Um, so we were off by, you know, a couple hundred gallons, which it was still okay. We still made a lot of syrup, but it's not as much as we'd like to make.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, when you started uh, redoing this, you said about what nine years ago now?
3: Yeah, about nine years ago. Like I said, my dad he uh, he had bought some. I think he went to a garage sale probably. My dad loves garage sales, and they oh, must. Dad, Dad's <laughs> love garage. Love sales. garage sales. They all do.
0: You you can't you can't. Oh, is there? Is, are there tools in that bucket over <laughs> oh, there? Yeah. <laughs> Can I get that tool that I'll never touch again and throw <laughs> in the basement?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so he he must have bought he must have bought some some sap buckets at a at a garage sale, and I was over there. I'm always over there working on the weekends, and we were probably cutting wood. And he's like, let's make some syrup this year. And so we made a little bit. And then I think we did, I think that year it didn't run real well. So then the next year he's like, let's hang 50 buckets. And then the next year it ran like crazy and we couldn't even hardly process all of the sap. I think we stopped after a while and just let it go on the ground. Um, And then I think the third year we hung some, some lines. So we have tubing run throughout all the woods and it all comes to a central collection point point. Um, So we're not out there carrying buckets around like they used to do. Yeah, Um, Some people still do it that way, and it's really cool to go watch them. And I think I'd never, ever want to walk through the woods (laughs) and collect five gallon buckets of sap all day.
0: Well, it's something like, so I grew up uh, selling Christmas trees, and we have our own Christmas tree farm. And, man, people love going out and harvesting Christmas trees in the field. If I ever have to do that again, like I <laughs> never would never want to do that again. Like they, they harvest trees. I go and I'll sell them over a week under two. Yep. See all the mostly
3: happy people.
0: <laughs> um, but I, I planted a bunch of trees. I harvested. I am never went, never want to do that again. It's no, no fun.
3: Yeah. So, so we, so we have now uh, we put on a few taps last year. So we have 1500 taps now. Um, we're actually out in the woods right now working uh, thinning out a new spot we're hoping to put in like four or 500 more and get towards 2000. So, you know, we have to balance it though, because I, I do a lot of the boiling. My dad helps me with the, with the infrastructure and stuff and he'll boil, he'll boil most of the time. But, um, it's how much sleep do you not like, you know, (laughs) you know, that's what you're like. The more taps you get, the more sap is going to come. The more sap that comes, the more you have to boil. And it's just, you know, it, it works like that. So yeah, we added on, we probably had I don't know a couple hundred taps and made maybe 40 gallons of syrup. And, how I got started in all of this process was I was on Facebook, and there was a post that said, um, you know, we're looking for vendors for the South Wedge Market. I had been to the South Wedge Market probably five years prior to that, and it was a huge party back then. Um, so I'm oh, like, I remember when it first started. Oh, that it was, was It was a whole thing. Yeah, so I didn't know that it had moved at that point. So I sent an email and was like, I had a little bit. of sorry, I might have had 15 gallons of syrup, and so I said to my wife, who made a mistake at this point too. I'm like, Hey, you want to you want to go sell some syrup at Southwedge Market? And she's like, Oh, that sounds like fun. So we went, set a table up, and then uh, sold a little bit of syrup. And then I and then what really happened was I had a recipe that we had bought some equipment from a person who'd retired, and the the wife had given me this recipe and said, This is the best mustard that exists. Um, you take this recipe and you make it. And I found it in a box. I put it in a box. I found it. And then I made some, and I was like, this actually is really good. I started bringing that along with me, and people started buying that, and that's kind of where it clicked. And I'm like, you know, maybe the syrup isn't what to sell. Maybe I want to put the syrup in stuff. And so now I've got seven mustards and pizza sauce and barbecue sauce and ketchup and seven different kinds of lemonade and um, all kinds. I'm always making new stuff. And
4: it's the best lemonade (laughs) anybody will ever ever have and re-
0: yeah also. really delicious and something that's like oh this this is something that makes sense it balances and it's really interesting
3: yeah and, and i mean really how all of this stuff started was just basically anything i started and i didn't i knew how to cook but i'd never really made stuff like that before and so once i made the mustard it really wasn't that hard it was hard but it wasn't that hard to do i just started taking things that we had in the house that had sugar in it and i was like i probably can make that and that's, the lemonade's the craziest thing because I drink lemonade all the time. And I was like, lemonade is literally lemon juice, water, and sugar. I'm like, so I just had to get some lemons. So I made lemonade. I drank it all the time. Brought it to some markets. Got some really awful feedback. <laughs> <laughs> basically just on the price. They were like, who would pay $4 for lemonade? This doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, I mean, don't buy it then. You Because yeah, basically I made 10 of them. I took them to the market. If they didn't sell, I took them home and I drank them. And then last year I sold I sold 5,500 jars of lemonade last year. Did you really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and so it's it's just crazy because it's one of those things. And I, when I, I, I think I stopped making it at one point, and then I started making a little bit again, and then it got a small following. And that's how really anything I make has really carried on. If it gets a small following, I keep making it. So people started buying the lemonade. One store picked it up at some point, and then that was kind of where it just kind of got out there. And now, you know... I just laugh because I'll have to, I'm actually almost out of lemonade bottles again. And I'll have to buy an entire pallet of like (laughs) 5,000 lemonade bottles and try to find a place to put it. Last year it was literally, I live in neighborhood of the arts. I think you know basically where I live. I don't have a garage. And they delivered a pallet of (laughs) bottles to my house. They wouldn't leave it because I wasn't home. I told them, just put it in the driveway. It's not a big deal. I get home. There's no lemonade bottles. I have an order that I have to fill. I don't have any bottles. I called the trucking company, and the guy says to me, he's like, well, I just want to leave it in the driveway. I'm like, I told you to leave it in the driveway. So another guy came back the next day, and he's like, you're just going to leave it in the driveway? I'm like, who's going to steal lemonade bottles? What are they (laughs) going
2: to do? A whole pallet.
3: Yeah, A whole pallet. So we just, throughout the summer... I just kept taking them out. I had a, I had a tarp over them, and I just kept taking them out. The pallet's gone, and now I need another pallet. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, where, where else? Uh, so, obviously, you'll we'll be able to get all the products at Provisions. Uh, where else can people find it?
3: Uh, so, I mean, I'm at basically any market in the city. So, I have a, a Phil, who's phenomenal. Uh, he works for me at the public market every Saturday. So, we're there every Saturday. Uh, obviously, I'm at Noda Market, South Wedge Market. I go to West Side Market on Genesee Street on Tuesdays. Uh, usually twice a month. And then the main stores that I'm in are the Impact Earth stores, uh, which they have a new one on Monroe Ave right by Cobbs Hill Park. Um, And then there's some other places that have some of my stuff. I just delivered to Ludwig Center Stage Cafe downtown. They have my my lemonade in the cooler. Uh, Better Together Dog Park has my lemonade in their cooler too, so... Um, lots of little places pick it up. Sometimes they carry it. Uh, crumpets on Monroe actually just out of Oh, that's lemonade, some so. that's some
0: good stuff. Yeah, right it's there.
3: phenomenal stuff. And so she's got my lemonade in the cooler now too.
0: Awesome. So last but certainly not least, it's time to talk microgreens. <sighs> We're going to from from the bakest <laughs> to the trees and now right to small smalls? greens. Yeah, that's <laughs> to fair. the smalls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why microgreens?
1: Ah, uh, um. I had a kind of winding path to land here, but I spent about two years working in field agriculture and loved being a part of the agricultural world, but was kind of heartbroken watching irrigations pump for hours and hours on end. And I wanted to stay growing and working in the space, but trying to find a more ecologically friendly way to do it. Something that was small scale and that I could kind of step into without taking on the debt that comes with buying a whole farm the equipment all that so i kind of just kept researching and this kept popping up this and mushrooms and one thing led to another and i, I s-
0: mean mushrooms and microgreens happen when one things lead to yeah, exactly thing. <laughs> yep so, um so what kind of what kind of egg were you were you in was that like commercial like grain growth or vegetable growth or
1: um it was actually a cbd flower production okay i was Out on the east end of Long Island at one of, I believe, the first uh, licensed growers in the state. Had a great time. It was a ton of fun, a ton of work. It was moving plants around that were about my size. And it was phenomenal to learn and get that experience because prior to that I was working in Project management for a graphics production company. So, oh, wait a second! Project management oh, yeah. right here, Bob. Oh yeah,
0: I did ten years as a project manager yeah. in uh, automation. I'm still oh. in automation in my day job, but yeah, ten years I, being a PM. It's yeah, a, I think I made about
1: six or seven years, and it yeah. was a company that was deadlines don't matter, we'll get it done. So I had maybe a little less sleep than I get now, but so I'm. It was one of those I need to step away. Just kind of wanted to try something very different and snowballed off from there and I kind of had some friends that live now live in uh Rochester uh, it's a husband and wife he grew up in Brockport they moved back here I know them from college and kept visiting them kind of just fell in love with the city more and more and jokingly I was like yeah hey, maybe I'll come up here And like yeah sure come on up and it's like okay yeah I'll be up in a month <laughs> yeah. uh, and it all kind of started with another just yeah sure why not like I messaged Chad last summer Applying to South Wedge, it was I believe the Monday that Noda started, and he's yeah. like, "Hey, I also have a spot at Noda. You want to come to that?" I was like, "Sure." It when's it start? Like three? I'm like, "Oh, it's 11 a.m. I, I need to get my stuff together and be out there.
0: <laughs> I have four hours to yeah. grow
3: microgreens. It's yeah. time. Oh yeah. It's like, okay,
1: let's go pack stuff up, get in the car, and he turned the lights
3: on extra bright that day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: And that was when I had uh, one rack and tray set up on that and now i'm up to seven and i think tomorrow i'm gonna probably buy another two shelving units to keep (laughs) up so it just keeps keeps on going which is phenomenal
0: so let's talk about the process Mm -hmm. of growing microgreens so um i mean the greens that most people eat you know, most people are eating very small variety of greens in their day-to-day life they're eating lettuces and a small selection of lettuces uh eating spinach and then kale. Yeah. And that's about it. And then some cabbage, but that's a very different world of yeah. things. But that's really the variety of greens that the vast majority of people end up consuming. Um, and we have a wide range yeah. of things available to us from all over the world in different uh, different crops and different origins. Um, and we eat pretty mature. I mean, it's a mid-mature plants, yeah. so they're not overly bitter and all these things but we're eating, you know, mid-mature plants. Uh, What's the process of getting to a microgreen versus growing a whole plant?
1: Um, It's obviously a much shorter process. The kind of average turnaround from putting the seeds down to cutting them is about two weeks, 10, 10 days, 14 days, something like that. So everything is super young, super nutritionally dense because it hasn't really started to metabolize its all of the nutrients that it contains. Very tender, very kind of easy to eat. I think that they're nice because you have to do zero prep. You pull them out of the package, throw them on whatever, just eat them out of hand. So it kind of makes it a little easier for people just to grab things. And I personally love it because I get to try and plant and kind of mess with tons of different varieties. I Right now I'm growing uh, close to th- 30 varieties, so 30 it's just 30 so, different ones, wow yeah. and it's like, I love introducing it to people and some of them are kind of the more run of the mill, like broccoli, kale but I also have uh, kind of strange cabbage varieties like it's called Tokyo Bacana also just found out it's called space cabbage in some places, which
0: see, I think you gotta go with space cabbage it was, it was cabbage. one of those like, Definitely.
1: well I'm rewriting that sign yeah. so like dinosaur <laughs> kale yeah exactly, like dinosaur <laughs> kale, it's like that's the kind of fun name for uh, I believe it's lacinato kale, but like there's so many people that come up and just like, what is that? And I always like bring the the trays that I grow them in, so people can see them. It kind of shows that they're plants, they're doing their thing before they're crammed into little packages, and it's more inviting and it makes it easy for people just kind of try and sample and play with new things. And I've had a lot of like parents with small kids like come up and try it, and they'll sample it and the kids will like it and they'll come back the next week and they're excited that their kid is now interested in eating fresh greens. And I love to be able to do that for the parents and, Get the kids excited about that.
0: Well, absolutely. And I think variety is yeah. part of that. I mean, sometimes it's hard to get kids out of the rut of eating things. I'm sure you've never had to deal with that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, my kids actually really love your microgreens too. And yeah. I think I think part of it is what I've seen is little kids, they have a hard time eating big, leafy, you know, it's oh, yeah. it's hard to chew and eat. And the microgreens are super friendly and easy. It's yeah. just like they pop them just, and they love them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I think it's that attitude too. Like, you know. Uh, I think, you know, my wife always identified, like, hey, you're you a dinosaur eating your giant plants. You're eating the broccoli. You're eating trees. And, like, it's cool. You're eating whole plants eating in one space bite.
4: Cabbage. Oh, space yeah. cabbage. Space <laughs> <laughs> cabbage.
1: Um,
0: and then all the varieties, too. I mean, sure, once you get in, then you're like, oh, what what's next? What oh, yeah. cool thing do you have? Yeah, now?
1: like, I do, uh, like, kind of mixes at the markets where people can kind of point at different stuff, and I package them right there for them. So a lot of times... People will do that one week and they'll come up be like, uh, whatever's fun. Like, put, put something together for me. Like, I love doing that because then it's like kind of lets me play with it. And I usually ask kind of like, do you want something that's spicy? Do you want something more mild? And just get to – and just at that point, I'm kind of working and get to talk to them. And it's really nice to just share a kind of quiet conversation and share what I do with them. And it's a really fun kind of interactive process at that point so you're you started with uh with you know i'm sure on a
0: bench with just some lights yep so that's the first stuff and what's the what's the genesis to jumping up and starting to grow your volume
1: um it's been just kind of the wholesale demand i sell at abundance and they've been wonderful to work with they take in a handful of varieties at a time i'm always kind of rotating and changing that out now with them and now i deal with the handful of restaurants and they always are kind of looking for something new and interesting so that's why I'm up to so many varieties so I'll have some people that want these four or five and then have something rotate in and then another restaurant something totally different so it just kind of lets me try different things and now coming into market season I try to bring some staples to like every market every week but I also try to bring something new and interesting because it's like, yeah, you might have came up here looking for broccoli, but it's like, okay, this one kind of lives in that same world. Give it a try if you like it. Go with that, and now they're excited about a new variety that they've never had or tried before. So, what's one of
0: the varieties that when you like, hey, you're you're trying, you're pushing, you're trying different stuff. What's the one
1: when you taste it, you're like,
0: eh, not good, not doesn't work for me. This isn't this isn't a
1: success. Um, I don't think I've had a ton of those because. There's certain ones that like I love, and then there's yeah. certain ones that are like, okay, this is a little weird, but like, I can see its purpose. Like one that comes to mind is cress. Oh it's yeah, it's like kind of the old school like English like crescent egg sandwich, and on its own, it is intense. It is kind of weird, but like with something like fatty, it's really delicious. Like you can replace like a black pepper with that, and it gives it a nice crunch to it, and it still it has its place and. I think I've only had. I think maybe the only thing that was like too weird and just like I, I don't, no one likes it. I don't know what to do with it.
2: <laughs> was
1: uh, fava beans? Oh, interesting. They're a, a really tough to grow. Like well, they were big seeds. They were, yeah, that's the thing. And, and they're big microgreens. Like the leaves were, uh, like I don't know, the size of like a good half dollar. Whoa! So like. And they have a really intense, kind of funky, almost not quite bitter, but going that way, like a real weird flavor. And like, I had some people that I guess knew them, or I guess maybe just love fava beans, and they were excited about them. But between being so tough to grow and it being so few people, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna with these. Like, this for me, yeah. (laughs) So that was probably like the only one that was like, oh, that was that was the full whiff, but.
0: Yeah. So you said you're up to seven full racks. So how how many how many uh? So you're doing? They're kind of trays, like. So I I also grew up in the greenhouse business. Yep. So uh, flats of you know flats of flowers. You know the that was at four by twelve, roughly size yeah. of thing, and that's about what the size of the trays are. It's pretty standard.
1: Yeah, the trays that I grow each individual variety in is give or take ten inches by twenty inches, okay. and I have them all on two foot by four foot shelves, just because lights are four feet wide and makes it easy at that point um so I have I think about 130 trays growing at any time because I'm rotating between them being in germination where they're not under light and then kind of as they mature and start popping out of the soil throw them under the light so it's kind of always a ongoing rolling process I'm always planting and always have my hands in soil at some point throughout the day so is that one of those things that once you got that egg
0: bite that like you needed your hands in soil yeah
1: and it was actually something that I was kind of thinking about I guess last night when I was kind of watering stuff I had a kind of like weird childhood memory I grew up down in the Catskills and my father had a very small like herb garden right out front and when I was a very very small child he would take me out and just kind of like hand me different herbs that he was growing and he'd have me smell them and taste them and like kind of not quiz but like what is that which one is it because like I would know what they were and like I kind of learned the love and the variance of plants and just kind of being attentive to them and you get something wonderful back so that's kind of I guess where it all started and then once I hopped back into farming three, four years ago now. It's just like, okay, yeah, this is, this is comfort zone. This is what makes me feel good.
0: Yeah. So I really want to just cut out like part of that last sentence and like do my entire closing (laughs) and say it like word for word. Yeah. Because like all, all the stuff that all of you talked about is that attentiveness that, you know, watching things go from nothing and the passion of like doing the work and you know, having the passion and being there and being yeah. part of the process and doing that just it's just very exciting stuff.
3: Yeah, and it's it's cool to be able to bring I mean, we haven't talked a lot about all the vendors, but we've got probably between thirty and fifty vendors that are gonna be in the store. Oh yeah, um, let's yeah, let's and, let's, ev- let's touch on them. And everybody, uh you know, everybody has that story Every, with yeah, what that's, they're doing. That's the yeah.
4: that's the Best thing about the store, I think, is that, you know, all of these people, it's like, you know, just sitting here listening to Chad and uh, Ben's (laughs) stories for the first time. It's like, oh, and it it, like hits home. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I did, you know. And and you realize um, as you're making these connections with all these vendors that that's uh, anybody that's at these markets. And that was one thing I learned last year. These people are pouring their hearts out. They are not sleeping. They are just, (laughs) you know, uh, it's a labor of love for sure. Um, And I think you can see it in the products.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a nice thing to be able to provide an outlet for them to have another place to showcase their wonderful products and be able to share it with a broader community that may never have came across them before.
3: Yeah, because it's not, it's not easy to find a lot of this stuff. You know, it, it's not easy to get into. I mean, Whole Foods just opened, and they have a local food section. And, you know, if you go in, they've got a handful of people from Rochester. And then local might mean Long Island. It just <laughs> means that it's from New York someplace. Um, and there's a barrier to a small person that makes some cookies in their kitchen being able to get in there. You know, I mean, even Jen would have a hard time getting um, in with her bread there. Um, I you could know,
4: never make that much bread. Anymore. Yeah,
3: it's just you can't do it. So it's not, it's not, it's not feasible for even for any of us to really do. But by having something smaller, you can, you know, bring people in. And running the markets to me has been very fun because I've watched people start out really small and then get too big for the market, and then they feel bad. And it's like, no, 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 that's a good thing. We can, yeah. we can tell people, you know, hey, that person started right here, you know, and that was when Steve we talked about uh, Lost Woods bread. When he was he was too big for the market anymore and when he left he felt bad and it's like, no, Steve, this is cool. We can tell people about this, you know. You started here and now you're out doing your own thing.
0: There's nothing that makes me more happy than trying to go to a restaurant that I used to be able to go to any night of the week and I show up at five thirty and I can't get a seat. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier to see, you know, people who have done the work and are passionate you'll know, find you'll know, find the success that they absolutely deserve. So I'm on the website, I'm on uh, provisions slash products Um and we're I'm just looking at some of the other vendors. So we've got a wide variety of different stuff. You got local produce from Kirby's Farm Market yep. coming up, which is yep. very exciting. Uh, I see I see vegan cheese spirit in abundance, which yep. is
3: really interesting stuff. Yeah, nut-based is super super interesting the way she can make nuts whatever kind of nuts they are taste like whatever cheese. It- supposed to taste like
4: i couldn't believe when i tasted her stuff at the market last year i'm certainly not vegan and i definitely love cheese but um you know aside from the texture being a little bit different than regular uh i mean her her gouda, her cheddar i mean if if the texture were the same i don't know that i would know the difference flavor wise it was yeah. phenomenal
0: well and like if you're serving bread like you have to have cheese available yeah, and like what for if- sure
4: and Cheese for everyone, yeah. vegan or <laughs> yeah. dairy.
0: Yeah, what a, what a great uh, what a great option for me. That's makes me very excited yeah. I like to have real like a real properly made you
4: for know sure. product
0: with all the good stuff in it, and it's yeah. really delicious. We've
4: got a couple other vegan bakers too yeah. um, that are phenomenal.
3: Yeah, little brownie little brownie bakery, which probably a lot of people know. She makes vegan and gluten free cookies, which uh, you know, being neither being neither vegan or gluten free. You know, there was a long period in my life where I wouldn't eat any of it because it just wasn't good. Yeah, you know? for and sure. Now I've never had any cookies better than the cookies that she makes. See, I love yeah. that. You know, yeah. and then then Solistic Sweets, who makes the cupcakes and cakes and things like that. Again, it's the best cake that I've that I've probably ever had besides my grandmother's. <laughs> and it's to think that it's vegan. I I don't even understand. So I just don't. I've gotten to the point that I don't. I'll try anything now. Yeah. You know, like I mean, even Ben's microgreens. I don't really eat vegetables. Um, but I'll eat. <laughs> you know, you know what you really want to do. I mean, microgreens you... aren't really
4: vegetables <laughs> yet, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so. they—they're—they're—they're
3: about they're They grow yeah. from the ground. They gotta be a vegetable. They're vegetables. Yes. They're
0: and I, vegetables. I love that. So we're we're opening a grocery store. The first thing you want to hear from the person yep. who's part of the thing. Eh, I don't really eat those vegetable
3: things. Those vegetable things. I eat. I eat bread. <laughs> I mean, I eat bread. I eat meat. That's why there's
4: three of us. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> but I mean, and that and that you do have that too because it does balance. Everybody has their own yeah. thing they're good at and. Th- there's no, I don't think, I, I mean, I know I've d- tried to do this for a while. I have, and I have a full range of stuff. There's no way I could open a grocery store with just my stuff in there. Right. You know? And so we all know different people. You know, I kind of, sometimes am the one that knows more of the vendors, but that's just because I run the markets. So I know, you know, and Kirby actually what's, and again, everybody in Rochester know everybody. Um, Chad Kirby, I played soccer with him forever yeah. when I was younger. And so he actually reached out to us, which was really cool because we weren't not sure what we were going to do with for produce. <laughs> and I just got a, I got a text and he was like, Hey, I want to hear more about provisions. And then he was, came in and um, he's going to stock us up with a lot of stuff. There's not much right now. We'll have asparagus and rhubarb probably opening, opening I mean, weekend, but it's such as late spring. It's, it's New York. What are you yeah. gonna, we'll have some apples, you know, we'll have some apples from, uh, from last year, but um you know, there's just, there's not stuff growing right now. Microgreens are growing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Microgreens. <So laughs> mushrooms. mushrooms. Yep. Yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
0: I'm excited to try some of those oh, yeah. too. That'll be awesome. That's not a fun part. I'm um, going to wrap up with some of the other ones on here. So I see Biscotti Brewers, another uh, another bake shop doing cold brew and some other stuff as well, which is really cool. Uh, I see uh, dog treats. I mean, everybody wants to
3: serve their mean, dog I've, the I've best. got two black labs. If I don't have dog treats, I can't go home. <laughs> yeah, they're the boss. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then I see, uh, I see, is that uh, soap uh, from was it Fiddlehead
3: Farm? Fiddlehead Farm is is Burley's berries on there yet? Not yet. So, so there have been a
4: bunch that have been added. Sorry, that I haven't. Yeah. Uh, so quite we have we have
3: fresh milk um, from out in Wyoming County. Oh, they, awesome! They actually they pasteurize it themselves, and they had a story on their Instagram the other day that they had ran out. They have a little stand by the store or by the road, I mean, and they had ran out of milk, and in five hours they got milk from the cows pasteurized into their stand. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you're not, you, no matter what store you're going to in Rochester, I think I can probably say that we might have the freshest milk that you're going to get. Probably. Yeah. 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 We've I, got
4: East Hill Creamery. East Hill Creamery oh, cheese.
3: great stuff. Yep. So we'll have some of that in there. I actually just got a delivery today from, make sure I say the name right, Ben, Sun, Sunset Valley. Yep. That Sunset Valley just brought us fresh mozzarella and fresh cheese curds that they make. Um, they're in my refrigerator right now, so they just dropped them off today.
0: I see pickles from Peter's Pickled Peppers. You know, yep. really make it easy to say. I yep.
3: appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll also have pickles from um, Mark and Amy's. So Peter's Pickled are jarred, uh, peckles, or jarred pickles, pickles, um, and then, <laughs> uh, Mark and Amy's are the fresh refrigerator pickles. So we'll have both of those.
0: Yeah, and I see kombucha from a new place that I'm not familiar with. And that's that's the other thing. I'm seeing a lot of new people popping mm-hmm. up in this that make me – excited about what's coming for food here in rochester because it's not just you know the people who were first up or early on that have done great and gotten big but it's the uh the entrepreneurial spirits and people trying this new thing uh, i see kombucharista rista i see new city obviously they've started to grow you know tatted chef barbecue stuff yep. um or well, i mean carlos she's amazing stuff and oh yeah one of the coolest people around yeah
3: she's she's got really i mean she won't have a lot of stuff in the store for until the middle of the summer but she's got some amazing tomatoes and
4: oh my gosh, all kinds of crazy and things. herbs look amazing and she'll have peppers and eggplants and whatnot we'll also we'll have fisher hill eggs we'll yep. have shout
0: um, out to phil one of the best <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah um, i just talked to him
3: today yeah
4: mo pasta we'll have pasta and sauces fresh pasta dry pasta and my bread is actually in his store too sorry oh, i forgot to tell so
0: cool <laughs> I see meat. I see pasture-raised meat. I see ice cream sandwiches. I mean, oh, yeah. this is the start of a thing that you need to be visiting. And if you want to buy local, you want to support uh, support producers directly by buying from the people and yep. you know, supporting these three local producers that are doing great things and the people that they're bringing in, this is the kind of thing that Rochester needs to have and needs to stick around and we all need to support because we all want to support With our money, the places that deserve it and not just the biggest producers that we have in our area. So again, where's the where's provisions located? When's the grand opening?
3: 1316 Culver Road. Uh, Grand opening is next Saturday, the 3rd of June, and we open at 10. Um, We're open 10 to 4 and then Sunday, June 4th, 10 to 4 also.
0: Awesome. Do you have uh, Do you have hours set for after that as well, or is it uh, a learning process? Yep. No, we're,
3: we're, our plan right now, and they, they may change a little bit after the first month, but we'll be open Thursday and Friday, 3 to 8 is the plan right now, and then Saturday will be 10 to 6, and then Sunday is going to be 10 to 3, I think is what we settled on, or 10 uh, to 4? 10 yeah. to 4 on Sunday. Nice.
0: So, yeah, if you want to learn more, go to Provisions Rock on Instagram. Any other best place to go for Provision, everybody?
3: It's Provisions Rock on Facebook also, and then provisions.genartisan.com. Jens Artisan. Jen's
4: yeah, artisan.
0: Yep. Uh Any other plugs we need to put in before we close out for today? Where can everybody find you again for, for Maple, for Flint's Maple?
3: Yeah, so my website's, uh, my stuff's easy. It's just flint'smaple.com. Uh, it's Flint's Maple on any social media. Awesome.
4: Yep, you'll find uh, where everything I have is at com, and both on social media at jensartisan.
1: Awesome. Yep, about the same it's botanicalben.com and on social it's uh, botanical underscore ben with an underscore at the end because yep. someone out in Oregon already was botanical ben but I figured <laughs> they're far enough away should be fine uh, you can also find ben moonlighting
0: uh, replacing any NPR host all over the country write <laughs> the these week. voices on
4: both of these guys
0: oh it's yeah it's oh. it's it's, uh, it's haunting my dreams already <laughs> I have that voice um, uh, you can find me at stromey twitter instagram foodabouttown Town. Food about town Podcast on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me uh, nominate meals. Uh, if you want to order a meal for two from us for $40, all you have to do is go to nominate meals.com order your meal. You get to support a local small minority owned restaurant each time. Uh, we have pickups twice a month at Three Heads Brewing, once a month at Fatty Beer in the neighborhood of Play, and once a month in Buffalo at the fantastic Nowhere Lounge. So you can find us there. Um, Stay tuned for more news about the Lunchador Podcast Network and all the amazing things we have going on. But thank you so much for coming over. Check out Provisions when it opens. Support local. And thanks for tuning in once again to the Food About Town Podcast. This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network.